Hello and welcome to a uh, Sunday night edition of the Warriors All-82 Podcast. 2-0 and weekend for the Warriors, Marcus. Um, which of the two wins impressed you more? Nets at home with a Steph Curry you know, laser show in the fourth quarter to drag them across the finish line? Or a win in Portland on the back side of a back-to-back where Steph Curry has seven points, doesn't hit a three for the first time in 269 games, I guess. Uh, and they still win in Portland, but they blew a 22-point lead along the way and still won. Yeah, like as far as like impressive, uh, I got to go with the Nets game. Uh, the, the Warriors are just their most impressive when Steph is playing like Steph. Also, the Nets are <laughs> better. Right? Like, I mean, Nets are just yeah, and Nets are a better a, a good team, but like the the peak of the Warriors is when Steph is scoring 16 in the fourth quarter. And, and it's just like the the show and the grandeur. Most important, the most like impactful or the most hopeful for their ability to turn this thing around to me was tonight's game against Portland. It was a it was a Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins performance. Like that's what saved him. I, 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 T you know TJD obviously uh, was huge, but. Like we we've said this for weeks now, they just need Clay Thompson and they need Andrew Wiggins to be good. Clay continued his uh, you know, better play. Right, he shot the ball well. He had a, he had a few spurt, you know, a few possessions where he was, he was trying to do too much, but he reined himself in. But like the story of the night was Wiggins, man. Wiggins finally looked like Wiggins. Uh, that that was that was the best he's looked since what was that? He had like thirty one games. No, so he so Wiggins had two really big games. Wiggins, yeah. uh, Wiggins at home against the Thunder on a game they lost, right? Because Chet hits the fadeaway three and then Shea dominates in overtime. Like that was actually a really well played game by the Warriors, if you remember. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And Wiggins had not only thirty one, but he hit five threes, including four fourth quarter threes, and hit the three with one point six seconds left. That was gonna huge. Be like, that they thought was the game yeah, winner. Was going to be the hero shot, right? <laughs> like they celebrated it, and then Chet hits it. So he has that game. And then I think it's like two games later, he has the game in Sacramento, which the meltdown happens. But he has oh, no, that was like that was more like four. I think that was like four games later. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, uh, regardless, he's, he he has yeah. had like two. I forgot about major that game. Games. I forgot about yeah. that game. Yeah. Well, you want to? So he has the tip in too, like that puts him up five, and you think seals it after Moody gets benched. I mean, that game had like ninety five different things that were going on if you remember it. Um, but so much. he that was like. I felt coming out of that game, like while there was such a meltdown and you felt like, you know, stuff was crumbling. It was like, man, Wiggins is like kind of really playing well. He had actually played either decent to great in like four out of like five games. And then the next morning he slams his finger in the car door and misses a couple games, comes back, can't dribble the ball, can't shoot. And then you're like, all right, he's back to what he was early in the season. Gets benched for a rookie, by the way, which is like kind of a, you know, wild subplot of the season. Uh, and then has played, I would say played well both games this weekend, but really today, I mean, you mentioned it. Um, what was, I don't know, let me find the exact stat line he finished with. But, I mean, I think the big thing is, you know, he played all 12 fourth quarter minutes tonight. He had 10 in the fourth. He finished with 25. I'm looking now, 9 of 12, 4 of 6 from 3. Hit some big shots, 7 rebounds, 4 defensive rebounds in the fourth quarter. You know, one block, uh, I think he had a, a steal too. Um, just like that's, 
what you need from him. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now. He had 31 against Oklahoma City. He was 3 for 10 against Houston. Uh, they won that game, though. That was the home game against Houston. I think the, the dud where they kind of needed him was at Phoenix, where he was like 4 for 11. Uh, and then he didn't play that, you know, 4 for 10 against San Antonio. Then the sack game. So, yeah, he was – he definitely was playing better, though. It was, it was at that better. time, four of ten was yeah, like solid Wiggins game tonight. And, and he was rebounding, right? Yeah, he, he, he did. He was he was on the boards. You so, felt yeah, like he was trending you, positively. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like it was just a smash? Do you think you felt like it was just like the feeling in his hand? I do. do I will say this: I, I don't know, that? and he he kind of downplayed it, but you know, Wiggins he kind of downplays everything. But I do remember. He, him going to warm up in L.A., it was the second game he missed after slamming his finger in the car door, and he was just like, he was wearing a wrap on his finger, and he was just like, telling me it was just like, tough to shoot, tough to feel the ball. I don't know. Like, I like maybe that, like, I you know, you've played basketball before. I would say if you, like, slam your finger in a car door, like, your touch would be off for a week, right? Even once yeah. you came back. Uh, you know, I also think his defense has been better. Uh it's it's an interesting development because oddly enough, him coming off the bench is like actually hurting Jonathan Kamiga. Like he's playing well enough to where Steve is still keeping him in the game. So even though Kaminga's been starting, like he spent the last two what fourth quarters mostly on the bench because Wiggins, jo- you know, Jonathan Kaminga played six fourth quarter seconds today. And Andrew Wiggins Jeez. played all 12 fourth quarter minutes. And what about and, and the last game? It was so the what's same. interesting like, about came the, in for that block at the end. Yeah, exactly. He had the bl- biggest like defensive play of the game. But I honestly, I, I'm not looking at the box score. But I like that might have been like the only possession I remember him even on the floor. So yeah, he he played uh, 28 minutes at OKC with Kaminga, uh, um, then 28 minutes against Phoenix. Right, and those were like the the games were like, you needed this athlete, right? Like, <laughs> and then he starts and his minutes drop. <laughs> 24 at the Clippers, 20 at Brooklyn. What was he tonight? Like 19? Like, it, it's just. Yeah, 18, 19. Yeah, it was like, wow. Like, so, I mean, I guess that's the, uh, the ideal situation for Wiggins to kind of fight and play his you way back. Play, by the way, you could play into like you could play game. them in more lineups together. I almost think, especially with no Draymond, like your best defensive lineups would include both of them. I do feel like Kaminga needs to be on the floor at the end of games because, I mean, I understand they're trying to write the season, but they they also are doing the dual thing of developing Kaminga. Like you can't, they've lost sight of that for too long in this pursuit of games, and now they have this kind of perfect storm where. They need to develop him. Like the urgency to develop him is there, but also him playing is actually what's best for the team. So it feels like they need to figure out a way to get him on the court. And that, that's a little tough because, you know, if Wiggins is going to play, you know, Clay, Steph, CP, that's four. At that point, you know, he wants a big out there to, to be with him, whether it's, you know, Sarge if he's hitting his threes or. Loon, if he just needs a defender and rebounder, or tonight it was, you know, TJD for, for most of it. Like, it feels like man, some of those. I don't know how it's gonna work out, but it feels like you just need Kaminga on the floor. You're gonna need him 
to win anything significant. And in order to for him to be good enough to perform at that level, he needs to be playing at the end of the games now. So that's that's interesting, like how it's working out to actually hurt Kaminga, even though he's starting. Yeah, uh, you know, but Kaminga. I mean, like a, a week and a half ago, ten days ago, like Kaminga was basically out of the rotation, right? That felt like the low moment, and then suddenly he kind of burst. And I do think he needs to be guaranteed at least, you know, he plays 18 minutes tonight. To me, that needs to be like the floor, like the absolute floor. Um, yeah. especially when and he was good. Anymore. Like he was five yeah. for seven. He misses free throws, but four, yeah, rebounds. Oh, four, I think I'm free. Throws. Um, yeah, he, struggled yeah, he was fine. And again, like I said, I'd like to see more creative lineups where he's together with, uh, Wiggins, you know, I think, you know, especially if Wiggins is playing like tonight, then suddenly you have, like, whoa, they feel a little bit more athletic on the way. Um, oh, yeah. But where else? I mean, storyline tonight. I do think Clay, I, you know, you kind of, I would say glossed over what Clay's doing a little bit early. Um, he's, like, heating up. And I think that's. And you, knew what I knew, you knew what I knew he was going to have a good game in Portland? How? He started making a paper plane last night. He may, I mean, the, he should be the MVP like if, if you're just bad. judging off and making paper planes. <laughs> that's every post. Well, no, that's only like post games where he's feeling good. So maybe, maybe that's your point. Um, his last three 30 points on nine of 15, eight threes, 24 points on seven of 19, four threes. Then tonight, 28 points on 11 of 16, five threes. Uh, you know, over his last 12 games, which is like, not like it's basically half of this season. It's twelve games almost. He's forty one percent from three on a pretty high volume. Like, you know, the defense is you know, what the defense has devolved into at this stage of his career obviously that creates uh hazards for the Warriors that that I don't think is solvable. But he's if you just look at his really the last half of this season that he's played so far, like he's shooting at like Clay Thompson from three. Um, like you said, still shot hunting a little bit, but like, this is what you need from him, right? 28 on 11 to 16 tonight. Like you don't get that. You don't win the game, but you got it. I I feel like it's even, I feel like tonight was even bigger than like just the fact that he made shots. He made big shots and he was making those, the wheels are falling off. They're going to lose this game. And then here comes Clay with a big shot. And that's the part where you felt like, man, uh, like that, that felt like clay. That felt like the clay that, you know, he's been trying to find for a while. I think he was like, what, five for six in the third quarter. And then here's the crazy part. Like he missed, he missed his two threes in the fourth, but he had one, one bucket in the, in the paint. And then he had that baseline fade away. Like, so he was going for the twos when the threes wasn't there. It was just like a smarter game outside of the couple heat checks. But, man, he had some big shots, especially with the way Steph was struggling. Uh, it, it felt like those were massive pressure. Clay will come through threes. That, I have a question for you. I, yeah. Um, so those three games I mentioned, you know, I mentioned the stats, uh, have come directly after, I would say, maybe the low moment of – I, certainly not the low moment of Clay's career because, like, the injuries are, right? Especially the Achilles. Um, but, you know, the low moment of this stage of his career, which is the benching in Phoenix, you know? 
And that was overshadowed because it was the same night that the Draymond thing went down, which like it's just crazy to think about <laughs> that night in general. But like, you know, like Clay took that hard. And maybe it's just coincidence, you know, he has he's on a hot streak since. But like th- my question to you is do you do you think the benching has led to this? Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's and it's why Steve should have did it earlier. <laughs> I mean I understood the idea. Like, I could see, you know, if this were a multiverse, I could definitely see the universe where you bench Clay and he just falls apart. I just don't think that was likely. I think Clay is a competitor. Uh, Clay is a professional. And even though he has his bouts with, you know, for lack of a better term, selfishness, like, he still wants to win above all things. I, I think this was a predictable outcome. Now, it's it's very possible that he could have tried to go for this and just not have it, but I don't think – there's nothing about Clay that, that said he would just go – he would, like, tank it and be a, an emotional mess. Like, it was possible. I, I could see it, but I don't think it was probable. Uh, so this makes a lot of sense, how he's responded to this. I mean, and, and I think you pointed this out on a previous podcast. Like, even when he was struggling – it wasn't largely because, like, his shots wasn't falling. A lot of it was shot selection. A lot of it was him rushing, doing too much, trying to take people off the dribble. You know what I'm saying? Like, that type of stuff. To me, that felt uh, more like the culprit than, you know, he just couldn't make shots. But when he when he took shots for a while, when he took good shots, march shots, in the flow, open, feet set, he made them at a very at a very Clay Thompson rate, I would say. So uh I, I I'm not surprised that he after that like turned to a very smarter approach, right? <laughs> Under control, uh, and stopped taking some of those like off one dribble fading, you know, tough twos. Like he's basically cut those out. Uh and it works. But to me this was the more predictable outcome. What, what do you think? Yes, uh, I do think that the uh, benching also kind of sparked this a little bit, but also like this is kind of the same time last year he he heated up, and you know sometimes at this stage of their career, guys kind of got to play themselves to to regular season shape, right? And I think some of it is that if you just kind of widen, like I said, widen out to the last twelve games, it's like oh, like you know he is shooting forty one percent over like a, a chunk sample, so he's starting to shoot well. Um, we haven't mentioned the play of the game, uh, unless you have a different candidate. Uh, I would say it was Pajamski. The player <laughs> right? or play? Play. Uh, oh, play so the game. Warriors up two with, well, like four, four seconds left. Steph Curry, they're up one, right? Steph Curry hits the first. He, you assume he's going to hit the second to go up three. And I mean, I don't, I'm not remembering at the time. I think Portland had a timeout, and I assume they would have taken a timeout if Steph hits it, you know, to move it into the front court, set up, you know, a try to make a three scenario. But he misses the free throw. It's kind of a scramble, and I think smartly they just let the action flow. Shaden Sharp gets a fast break out of it, basically, where everyone seemed a little shocked, like, oh, Steph Curry missed the free throw. Um, and Shaden Sharp's getting to the rim to tie the game. And Brandon Pajemski, you know, in inter- this is kind of a risk to to step in and try to take a charge with a second left in a two point game. You know, Shaden Sharp makes the layup, and you get called for 
uh, a block, that's ball game. Um, yes, or, you know, you get called for a block and he misses. He has two free throws to tie. Like, it's a very risky play. But he but made that shot, by the way. He did? Yeah, he made it. Yeah, he made it. I thought he made it. No, I don't. Well, let me. I'm going to go find it as I'm, you know, setting the, the rest of it up. But, uh, you know, he steps in. He takes a charge, which is monstrous. And it's. I mean, we'll we'll get into Pajemski, and uh, you can detail or not detail as much about you know. Sounds like you're writing a story on him uh, for the morning. It like that's his eleventh charge taken this season, which is fourth in the NBA. Although I'm looking at the list, it's it's not you know loaded with defensive oh, stalwarts. No. Do you want it to know? I thought it went in. It rimmed out, by the way. But yeah, it, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, it rimmed out. Um, but regardless, like the point stands like everything like the risk of the play and the fact that i mean he like it was obvious enough that um like there wasn't like it didn't feel like portland was like disputing it right uh so he i mean like that's 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 why he's starting you know in a nutshell right Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently styled on basketball stars like jaime jaquez jalen green d'angelo russell and others David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. I mean, my story is just about how Brandon Pajemski is, is literally in violation of everything we know about the Warriors. Like, <laughs> they don't play rookies. They don't play rookies at the end of games. They don't put the ball in the hands of rookies. They don't sit veterans to play rookies. Like, we, there's just no, there's no example of this. Uh, the only, the only actual example when rookies got to like Cook was, you know, the 1920 season when they didn't have anybody. I'll give you, I, I'll give you another example. This might, you know kind of trigger some of the listeners. I feel like they gifted James Wiseman <laughs> some minutes in his rookie yeah, they, season. They did, they did gift him some minutes, but uh, number one, it was short-lived. Number two, he wasn't he wasn't playing like this. He wasn't at the end. Oh, of no, that. he certainly wasn't. But like, like for one of the things I found. started his first game ever. After his yeah, game. he started. He, I mean, he averaged like 20-something minutes his first season, like 40 games. Yeah, I mean. He played 39 could. games. He was, he was up there. He played. Yeah, but it, it's, a, shot. it's a completely different example. But I was just thinking of them actually, like when you talk about their code, like I don't, maybe they kind of broke it for him too in like a different way. No, they did break it, but I also think they were coming off fifteen and twenty, <laughs> and yeah. or fifteen and fifty, and they were still kind of in that. Oh, and also drafted him second wins. overall, and you know, <laughs> and drafted him second overall. Yeah, uh, so like he's he's come in and he's just. He's done what it seems like no other rookie has been able to do. Uh and there's like there he just fits the mode. I don't I don't think he's necessarily better than the other ones, but for the coach he has, for the team they have, like he, he was clearly drafted by the Warriors for the Warriors. And we sat there and we were watching his 
his highlights on draft night. We were like, what is this? <laughs> but they clearly knew like the type of player they felt comfortable with. And he's that. And, and we're just seeing, we're just seeing something we haven't seen before. Like we, we just way, way we, quicker than not only. And I even imagine. when they played Wiseman, they didn't, they didn't trust him. No. Right. They didn't. It wasn't like, let's, let's go to it. It was more like four. It was like, they did it with gritted teeth, you know, like, Somehow this, you know, arrogant, like, talented rookie comes in and they're like, yeah, man. <laughs> like, nobody's blinking that he's on the court because he's just brought – like, he, he just fits. It's very weird. If I'm Moses Moody and I'm Jonathan Kaminga, I'm like, what? But it's pretty obvious why this is happening. Like, it makes a lot of sense why this is uh, happening. These, these are his – these are his rebound numbers the last, uh, I think, eight or nine games. Eight, six, five, six, eleven, seven, five, five. He's had five assists in three out of the last four games. He's had at least a steal in seven of the last eight. He's had He had six steals the previous two games combined. Uh, he's scoring double digits on the regular, 13, 12, 12, 20, 19, 10. It's, this isn't just some, like, scrappy dude who stepped in for a charge at the right time so we can like glorify like oh you know look at this like hustle play by this rookie uh he's like producing like in the stat sheet like if you're a fantasy basketball player you're probably like wow like who's this kid like pick him up um it's it's until recently he wasn't turning the ball over either which is a huge deal yeah Uh, i mean i think he had he had like five against brooklyn uh but what do you have? What do you end up with? Yeah, just yeah, one, one tonight. One tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just like I mean, he for his minutes, like he's not turning the ball over. I mean, I think a major difference is obviously the rebounding, but he handles the ball. He has he can handle the ball, and everybody can feel comfortable with the ball in his hands, and that just matters a lot for Steve Kerr, and it's 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 given him a way to play, like it's given him you know, the trust of, of of all these people because that's essentially Warriors basketball. You gotta be able to dribble pass shoot. Uh <laughs> like dribble pass shoot. That's what you gotta be able to do. And he can do it. And also he rebounds. So but we, we just haven't seen this. So it's it's really it's very unique to watch. I mean look, look we've seen we've seen Steph Curry take game winning charges. We've seen Andre Iguodala Draymond, you know, come with game winning strips. We've seen Draymond game with defensive stops. It's very rare to see rookies on the court. For the, they for really like him defensively, and to me, that's the yes. surprise. That's been the surprise too, because I mean, we watched the the tape. The you know, maybe we stereotype too, right? Let's be honest. Um, maybe it's you know, the tape wasn't great. Yeah, the tape wasn't great, bro. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Which but, is you know, fine. Again, yeah. Like you know, we also probably stereotype like six foot three, like white rookie. Like, I think it's a proper stereotype in a lot of ways. But like, you do not expect this guy to defend the way he has. But uh, that's mattered. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we should probably talk to the other rookie who was good tonight, right? What did Trace Jackson Davis finish with? I think he was like six and nine, fourteen points, eight rebounds, five offensive rebounds. Um dive, you know, he had a lob dunk. He had a, you know, like I said, a, a dunk on a dive. He was active. Uh, they tried him three games ago uh, against the Clippers, and he wasn't good. He played, I think, six first-half minutes. They didn't play him the second half. They didn't play him against the Nets. 
Uh, they went to him tonight. I think part of it was like, you know, Looney, it was kind of a slower Looney night, right? You know, most nights kind of lately have been, but you're playing a young team, second night of a back-to-back. I think they just tried to see what Jackson Davis would give them, and it was good. Uh, and I'm just – I'm curious where it goes from here in the front court without Draymond. You know, you have a chance to, to I think, poke him out there a little bit more and see what you have. And, uh, I mean, it's clear, like, this is not breaking news. Like, it's just a dimension they don't have. And it's so obvious, like, when it plays out, right? I, I mean, they – I know, look, Saric has been playing, like, well, he's been hitting his threes. Like, he's very valuable. He's the stretch big they need. But my goodness, if he is your backline center, it is a bucket for everybody every time. So when you get TJD in there and you see somebody actually protect the rim, you know, actually get big and be a presence – you realize how much they're like just trying to withhold and just hang on with Saric, right? You you can see it. Like it's it's kind of like a it's just pretty obvious. Now you're looking at this like look he doesn't shoot. If he shot, he'd be the starting center if he if he could shoot straight something. Yeah, I think the other thing is and and you saw it in the Clipper game, it's he there's still like it's a slow reaction, like, whoa, this league is a little overwhelming. And it's understandable. He's a rookie. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think obviously it was a it was a good pick, good find where they got it. I think they have him on a good contract. I think he should play on certain nights. Tonight was an example, but the Clipper game, like against like a, a crafty offensive team with Harden coming downhill, and co- yeah, and it was a bad five minutes. Um, yeah, and he, he was, he was, minutes, yeah. he was lost in that game, which is fine. Right. Yeah. It's like tonight he was good tonight. He was better than Looney. Like that's pretty easy to say. I'm just saying there's like, where where you're right is like when it does go well, you're like, man, could this team use that this consistently? But I also think it's a little unfair to assume he can give it consistently, especially against like good opponents, right? Blazers is a good team for him to play against. Clippers, a little bit spooky for him to try to defend against that team. You know, because all he's thinking about, I actually talked to him about it in the locker room before yesterday's game, just like defending Harden coming downhill. And like all he's thinking about is like verticality, get your hands away from him. It's like Wiseman really dealt with this a lot, right? You know, the way he would, you would see him jumping to contest shots, but telling himself the entire time, like, don't foul, don't foul, don't foul. And then it would get him out of position to even get a defensive rebound, that type of stuff. Uh, I just think there's a, there's a rookiness to, to him that I think will show up against good teams, right? Like they're playing the Celtics on Tuesday. Like, yeah, like theoretically, you probably want to play him for an athletic standpoint, but also like it, it might be rough if you have a rookie center out there, like staring at Jason Tatum and Christoph Porzingis and Jalen Brown and like that. And what's the? And by the way, what's the worst that happens in that situation? But the other team scores. Well, because that's literally what's happening with Sarge as the center. No yes. matter who they're playing, and then Sarge is veterans. Like, literally, I know what you're saying. I'm just trying to provide a little bit of the count. I get it. I, yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. I feel like those problems. The problems that TJD has to deal with when it's Phoenix and you're dealing with, you know, get switching out to Booker, right? Or uh, the Clippers having to switch out onto Hard Mike. I think those are problems everybody's going to struggle with. Uh, but, and he obviously has his like issues, right? He's not, he's not perfect. I'm just saying when he's out there, 
like you can see the difference with like an athlete in the middle, right? You can see, I mean, you see that rebound he, he skied for, like that has, has nothing to do with who he's playing against. He just went and got the ball above everybody else. Uh, and, and Looney, while he, he gives you that kind of great rotation, the, the tough rebounder, and he doesn't give you that, you know, it doesn't give you much on offense. And Saric gives you all the offense in the world, or at least he, he makes a lot of threes, right? And he's a good passer, but he gives you nothing on defense. I think TJD might be the good in between. The guy who gives you a little bit of defense and a little bit of offense, right? He can do some things as far as rim protection, and he can do some things as the role man, uh, especially as for Chris a, Ball, a flasher who can finish. Yeah, like so. Either way, with Looney and with Saric, they're 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 squeezing out the good they do, and and basically just kind of hoping and praying for the best on the other end of the court. Whereas when you see TJD, like he's the one big guy who has a chance to give you a little bit on both. And it, it's just, it just stands out when he does it. Like, like he, in the Phoenix game, he wasn't, he wasn't very good in the Phoenix game, right? I do think there's, there's a part of that, but man, it, it just feels like five, ten of, those, ten of those minutes a night, you know, you just start grooming him for something and he, he's going to be really good just because he can play. He can give you something on both ends in a way that you don't get from Sarge. And look, even even like when Simon's just coming down doing his layup thing, like he wasn't stopping that. He was getting the and one too. So it's not like he's like, you know, shutting down the paint. I'm not saying he's doing that. But it just looks dramatically different when you have somebody who is capable of blocking a shot in the paint. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it just looks different. The best shot blockers without him on the court is probably Steph. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, they're I think second to last, twenty ninth in the NBA in uh, block shots. And I know that's not like the tell all stat on rim protection these days. It's more, you know, there's like tracking numbers on what teams shoot at the rim, all that. But I don't think they're very good in any of those stats either. Um, anything else from this game? Uh. So, Chris Paul, uh, 2 for 7, 0 for 4 on 3. But he played 32 minutes off the bench. He had 8 assists. Are, are, you, are, you more, are you concerned about his shooting? Or is that not that big of a deal because of how well he's playing as a distributor and, you know, floor general and running? He had one, he had one uh, nice fadeaway. It's a huge mid range. Yeah. Very important time. Right. But it makes you uh, it makes you think like they could really use that. Sh- they could really use him getting the bucket. They could use this. Sh- if use this team the, if this team turns into the theory of what they want it to be and like gets to the playoffs and like has deep series, like his mid range jumper will matter in like pr- in certain series. Yes. Um, but that feels a long way away. Uh, in my way, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean. What is he? I'm going to it. He's shooting 40% overall, 33% from three. That's like way, that's not even just way below his career average, where he's 47% overall for his career, 37% from three. But even like last year, right? You know, he was 44% overall last year and 37% on threes. Like, I just think he'll shoot a little bit better. I think he averages a little bit like Clay will um, normalize. Um, so I'm not. 
I think those runs, the one of the reasons they keep giving up these huge leads is because they don't especially with Wiggins like struggling, you know they like to go to Wiggins to calm things down, put him in a low block. But they just don't have very many places to go for those like rally ending buckets. It's usually like, all right, let's do some more curls, some more screens, let's try to get an open open three. And like it feels like Chris Paul, one of the, one of his strengths is that he can get to that spot and hit that mid range when you when you just need a bucket. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's a I don't think it's a concern yet. But when he hit that dagger, like it felt like yeah, that's exactly that's part of why they brought him here too, right? That's what they wanted from him was to hit those big mid range shots. We watched him hit so many times. And yeah, then he, realized, he also like, yeah, he's really uh, not hitting that shot. Yeah, I mean he also had. Eight assists tonight, eleven assists last night. Yeah. Um, you know, sixty-two yeah, minutes this weekend. That's like the number that's stunning. Right? Yes. Like I didn't realize yeah. he played thirty-two minutes tonight. Yeah. Um I so the day after Draymond gets suspended between the Phoenix LA games, and I was at shoot around in LA. This would have been Thursday morning. Uh the suspension had dropped Wednesday night. And Post shoot around, Steve Kerr and Chris Paul were sitting there for, I would say, a good thirty minutes, like deep in conversation. I don't know what they were talking about, uh, but it just that it they've talked about how like important and like delicate a time like this post Draymond suspension has been for them, and particularly that day, you know, Wednesday night into Thursday uh, in the Clippers game. And I only bring that up because it does feel like in this like post Draymond for however long it's going to be existence. Steve Kerr has decided to like lean into Chris Paul a little bit and 62 minutes this weekend. Like that to me more than anything just screams like Steve Kerr being like Chris Paul is going to help guide us out of this. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what, that's part of what he's here for, for sure. Like they need that. And you can see him on the court. If I don't know if he's more vocal or not, it just feels like, He's more vocal. He probably would say he's not, but you can just see him doing his thing where he, you know, is telling people what they should be doing and where they should be. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, it makes sense that he would be like that figure. It's probably what he's been waiting for. And considering the fact that he's not starting and a rookie is, <laughs> there's probably uh, this, this type I'll, of leadership. I'll just say this. It was probably part of that conversation. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm closing games, and I get to I'm gonna play a lot, and also like I'm gonna be me then. Yeah. It, how far away does the summer conversation slash early season conversation about like Chris Paul starting or not feel? Did it even happen? I don't even know if it happened now. Yeah. Like it's that. That's like I'm. I'm thinking maybe I dreamed all that. I'm pretty sure he started like everyone on the team except for Chris Paul. That's <laughs> like. <laughs> you know, it's a while. TGD is next. He's gonna start. Yeah, interesting That's week crazy. for them coming up. Uh, Celtics Tuesday night showcase game. Uh, you know, tough tough game for them. Obviously, they will not be favorites. And then a uh, comfortable looking back to back on the home back to back coming the weekend. Jordan pulls back Friday night Wizards, and then Saturday Blazers again. So I would say. 
you come out of this weekend two and one, which means you're you're four and one over the last five. You get the record from ten and fourteen to to fourteen and fifteen. Um, you'd feel a little bit better heading into that Christmas game in Denver. Oh yeah. Uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, you you were in a locker room, I'm sure. Is Steph? You think Steph's tired? He he needed a, he needed a game. Well, and do you see one of those games him taking? Taken off? Not the Boston game, clearly. But yeah. No, I don't see anybody taking anything off unless, like, a tweak or an injury happens right now because they're desperate, you know? Like, you can't you can't just rest Steph because, oh, he's tired, and then, like, you lose to Portland or whatever. Like, to answer your question, like, yeah, I mean, that was the whole story of the Nets game, right? And the way he had to, like, summon his energy and, like, yeah. Steve Kerr admitting, like, the emotional distress. And, by the way, I mean, I wrote about it, but, like, Steph like changed up his entire pregame routine. Like that's not a small thing. Like you know Steph very well, obviously. Like he is routine oriented. He's diligent with about that. For him to upend what he was doing, uh, to move his pregame routine, you know, more than two hours prior to the game, way before the game, for the sole reason of escaping the fans, escaping the noise, escaping people and demands and hands out because we know like this isn't just some normal guy warming up like you're out there during step warm-ups like they're insane um that was him just telling himself while also indirectly telling the world like it's been a lot lately and it's not just the burden of like oh i gotta score 30 a night and try to get this team to the 10th seed it's like everything trying to hold this franchise up right now is tough so yes to answer your question i do think he's pretty exhausted but no, I do not think he's going to sit a game because I just he can't right now. Sure, you can. You got Chris Paul, man. Forty-three Chris Paul minutes. I mean, you know, Corey Joseph will we'll, we'll get know, some. Right? We'll get some run. If, yeah, you know. Corey Joseph will get some run. Yeah, but, I, I, mean, I don't he, think he's like, like, I, I think he'd reject yeah. the notion, but you got to start to wonder what's just what's best for the long term. I mean, they're gonna. They, they have. You uh, got you got the Wizards Blazers on a home back to back. Like, is there? Well, it's I like guess you can look the, and see when Detroit comes to town. But the, I mean, the way <laughs> like you say that in a, I feel like the way you say that is like how the Kevin Durant Warriors would think. Like, you got Wizards Blazers back to back. Like, those aren't big games. Where, in my opinion, like that's bigger than the Celtics. So you say sit Boston? Yeah, exactly. Like, yes. Yeah. To be honest yeah. with you, I mean, the league would not. I mean, you like can't that. do that, though, because of Adam Silver. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, you're not going to do that regardless. And, like, nah, I'm not. He's not sitting that game. I'm just I saying. I don't think like, he's sitting any games. I'm just curious if. Like, you watch the game. Maybe Rick Celebrini steps in and says, yeah. well, he needs to get a game here. There's not a team in the league that you can be like, Steph, sit. Like, you know, it's fine. They got it's it. It's the Wizards at home. Uh, you know, the Wizards were up, like, the entire game against the Suns tonight and, like, really should have beat the Suns so the Suns squeaked it out late. Like, you know what's a disaster for the Warriors? If they give a Wizards home game away. You can't give that game away. So, yeah, Steph Curry should play. I don't know. I just don't think they would, but, yeah. I feel you, though. You sure? (laughs) You ever seen Jordan Poole and Jason? It's been a while. It has been a while, buddy. No, that's all I got. All right, me too. Uh, everyone read Marcus uh, on the website tomorrow, sounds like. so. Uh, and then we will talk to you probably, probably post-Celtics here. Yep. All right. See post, you. post-2022 rematch. All right. Yeah. 
Yep. Talk to you then.